Welcome to City Talks, a monthly podcast looking at the big issues facing UK cities and the latest thinking on urban policy. I'm your host, Andrew Carter, from the think tank Centre for Cities. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to City Talks. Today, my guests are Dr. Felix Rosel, a professor of economics at the University of Braunschweig, and Katrin Enenkel, former colleague of mine at the Centre of Cities. And more importantly, they are the co-authors of an excellent newish paper entitled German Reunification, Lessons from the German Approach to Closing Regional Economic Divides. And the paper is part of the Economy 2030 project. So welcome to you both. Uh, I've talked to you many times about this sort of issue, but this issue, at least in the UK, never goes away and keeps coming back uh, a fairly kind of frequent uh, occurrences. So it's good to have you both uh, back on to discuss uh, the paper, which I think in some regards tries to distill what we know about what's happened and you know what we might draw from it. And we're going to work through the paper and get your thoughts on it first off. But Felix, maybe start with you first off. Uh, in, in Britain, um, you know, we, we always look to Germany on this issue about levelling up. You know, in a sense, the reunification project is is a good case study in the UK, as it were. Um, is that the case in Germany? You know, do Germans see the reunification project as a good project, you know, good experience, something that's gone relatively well? I mean, how, how do they sort of think about it? Very much depends probably on the time and on the region. Um, so they are uh, indeed only winners in, in the end. But uh, some people do consider this project as maybe not the, not the most successful project of their life. So when it, it was uh, well, in the very time of reunification 1990, I think almost every German considered this, this a, a big thing, except probably from the communist elites in, in, in the East. Um, but, but well... Well, not everything worked so well in the end. So we have this big disruption in the East German economy, which left yeah. some regions behind. We have a lot of deindustrialization. All those regions are not super happy with uh, how it, how it in, in the end worked uh, reunification. And uh, th- there are also regions in West Germany, which had to pay for, for the East and had not that money they needed to, uh, well, build their infrastructure, for example. So I think there are some regions which are, after 30 years, not so super happy with how reunification went. But in the end, I think almost every German would agree that this was a big project, a great project, and it was worth them to go this way. Okay. Catherine, your thought, I mean, you're a, you know, a German living in, in the UK. I remember when we worked together, you were slightly surprised in some respects that the UK was looking to Germany for an example. Okay. So just just give your view on, you know, how how Germany sees this project. I mean, Britain, as I said, thinks it's a it's a great success and it's something we can learn from, which we can definitely do that. And we'll get into that in a bit more detail. But just your thoughts on how you how you think Germany sees the project? Um, yeah, I think I see it a bit similar like Felix, but I think one thing to say is like, I think everyone agrees that the situation now in Germany is much, um, in East Germany is much better now than it was uh, 33 years ago. Um, and there are like different um, opinions on like how well it went. I think there's also like a very German component in it that in Germany, I think you're never happy with things, how things are, um, depending on how good they are. So I think there's a big 
big bunch of like Germans saying, no, it's not perfect, so it's not good, but it's definitely better. Um, and I think another thing to consider as well, when we look at regional inequalities overall, um, obviously it's still East Germany, um, large parts somehow lagging behind, but it's not only East Germany anymore. So we have now also like other parts in Germany where we see like some regional divides that are maybe uh, like pockets in the West, particularly those areas where we have like all these um, coal and mine heritage they didn't really manage to get the structural change so i think now um, the discussion has shifted a bit away from the classical east-west divide towards like um, other inequalities also in germany mostly now maybe between the hinterland and cities um, uh, old industrial areas and um, more blinking um, western cities yeah oh, that's interesting yeah so in a sense that the, the debate itself in part because of what's happened has, has changed itself because now we we recognize or see other areas or maybe that were as you say in the west that were we thought were doing okay but are now beginning to struggle as the economy begins to transition i think that's really that is a really kind of interest maybe we'll get back in towards that uh towards the end um but it in terms of the the paper the paper tries to take out well does not doesn't try does take a look at you know where we were uh, in East Germany relative to West Germany, and then what's kind of changed over the time. So, Felix, maybe start start with you again. Just just paint a picture of East Germany relative to West Germany at the point of reunification. You know, you in the paper you look at it through different sort of indicators in different ways, but just paint a picture as to how much of a difference there were was, and then and then we'll get into what what was tried to done and you know what the impacts have been. So just give us a sense of what the picture was back in 89. Yes, yeah, sure. So to understand um where we stand in 1989 and well we have to go back to the division of Germany. So when Germany was divided, uh, well, we have very two, two very different Germanys. So in, on the one hand, we have West Germanys, all supported by the Western allies. Um, well, a lot of help from the UK, from the US to uh, um, make this country working again. While on the other hand, you have East Germany, um, a lot of, um, uh, well, um, dismantling by the Soviets, a lot of firms and of course people which left uh, left uh, the East. And um, so they already started at very different levels in terms of, of the um, industrial structure and also in the um, scale of how, how, how good the, the economy worked in, in, in 1949. And then after 40 years of, uh, of communism, of course, um, well, this country was, was a mess. So East Germany was quite an, um, very, very poor uh, and, and heavy industrialized um, um, country. So we have a, had a lot of misallocation in terms of um, production factors. So a lot of people worked in sectors which are which were nonsense, um, and a lot of um, capital was missing. So we have a, we had a lot of people in West Germany and East Germany which were uh, working in sectors that are somehow um, outdated. And um, quite the opposite in West Germany, a lot of wealth, of course, a lot of capital, but West Germany was already short in, in, in labor in 1989. And was so this, there was, this, this was the, the situation. And you just touched on it. Was there a big difference within Germany prior to, obviously, the Second World War, which was obviously quite, you know, obviously hugely you know, devastating effect on the country as a whole? But you know, where was the sort of regional divides prior to that? Was there already a bit of a schism between western and east or, or was it slightly different it, there was one but it, it was quite the other way around 
Oh. The very, very stronghold, economic stronghold of, of Germany was East Germany. Um, population density was much higher in, or a bit, yeah, it was higher in, in East Germany compared to West Germany. But after 40 years of communism, after the first, um, well, out-migration until the, the wall was built, um, well, East Germany was down to half, half the population density of right. West Germany. A lot of industrial plants have left in 45 and 46 for, for, for West Germany. If you think, for, uh, for example, of Siemens uh, leaving uh, uh, Berlin, uh, if you think about Audi uh, leaving um, uh, Saxony, so East German Saxony for Ingolstadt, th there were a lot of examples of, of migrating firms. East Germany was the stronghold before the war, yeah. and it was quite a mess uh, in, in 1989. Okay. In, in the paper, you know, you look at um, some of these indicators, for example, you know, unemployment rate uh, in 91 is about 165 relative to 100 uh, in East compared to, to Germany. Productivity is in and around sort of half what it is uh, in West Germany and disposable income is around 60% of the West Germany. So they say, but these are marked, you know, differences. They're not just at the margins. These are quite significant differences, which, you know, on the, are on the back of what are the, some of the, the factors and structures that you were you were talking about. So let's move to um, to the policy response. So 89 happens, government, West German government, East German government, Germany government comes into being, you know, we recognize that this is an issue. Policy response begins to think about what to do. Um, Catherine, just, just give us a sense as to what the initial thinking and early parts of the policy, because I think one of the things to highlight is that the policy response a has been relatively consistent but has also gone through has gone through some cycles around prioritization and uh, and process so just give us a sense of what the the policy response was at the beginning and how that's evolved and bring felix back in catherine yeah sure um <clears throat> i think the first thing to keep in mind is that um the reunification came with a very large amount of funding over an extremely long period and um, this is really a significant characteristic. And I think it's also like the characteristic we have to think about if we try to uh, draw comparisons to the UK case. So um, according to the most recent estimates around or more than two trillion pounds um, were spent on the reunification project between 1990 and 2018. So an extremely long time frame that uh, would be around like 47, um, you know, 74 billion pounds every year um, and if we just look at what the UK for instance has done during the pandemic and um, the furlough they've spent was like just um, 70 billion um, a year during the pandemic so we know that the support was like um, really massive um, over a very long um, time and um, yeah the transfers came mainly through the welfare system and we will also talk or I will talk about it later um, a bit about like um, industrial policies and um, one thing to keep in mind is that um, innovation policies and training that are now very popular and obviously um, very important to create a healthy economy were not really in the focus of these policies. And there was also no um, overarching reunification strategy. However, all parties were really committed to making this reunification happening. Another characteristic of the policy support, the initial one, was that um, West um, German institutions were copied and implemented at a very fast um, speed. Um, so basically, Western institutions were mimicked um, 
it was thought, okay, after the Second World War, um, these institutions have been proven to be successful. They will just work out in East Germany. And I think there was not really um, think, no thought of, given about like, okay, in what state is this East German uh, society? Um, does it fit with their needs? Does it uh, fit with their institutions and their past? It was just like put um, into place in East Germany um, uh, that meant that local authorities were reduced um, and they were given more powers, which is a good thing. But um, it also meant that a lot of the elites, like uh, business leaders, prime ministers, um, ministers, etc., were just imported from the West. You can imagine how that feels for, for a country if suddenly you have nothing to say and there are like all these elites taking over and implementing their crazy Western um, ideas and you just have to follow suit. Um, yeah, and I think the th uh, third characteristic of the initial phase is um, that the direct business support had a very strong focus on manufacturing and um, with an implicit focus on smaller urban and rural areas. So um, Felix already stated in the beginning, the um, East German economy was like rundown. Machineries were used, I don't know, from pre-Second World War, partly. It was a horrible state. So there was definitely a need for like, um, yeah, building up the industrial capacities again. Um, so that was fine, and but a lot of the policy programs or the main policy program called GRW um, was only focused on like um, big uh, like um, industrial um, components, and um, <clears throat> so there was not there was not really an explicit specific spatial strategy in place. But um, given that all these industrial um, places or like businesses were outside of larger cities and this main program had a focus on um, industry and um, uh, manufacturing and uh, basically places that were like um, outside of big cities got like more of this funding. So there was like a kind of a spatial component mm. of this initial um, funding programs. And, and how long did that initial sort of, you know, the phase that you you just outlined, Catherine. How long did it? How long do you think it it lasted? Can we see a sort of phase where you know that was very much in in you know in evidence for the first decade or so, or you know whatever, and then it began to evolve and change? Can we think of it like that, or 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 not? Um, I think Felix may be better suited to tell that. I think um, I mean Germany is obsessed with manufacturing, and I think this is why also in Germany, like that was for Western Germany as well. There was like this mindset, manufacturing, manufacturing, manufacturing. I would say maybe the first 20 years. Yeah. And then there was like a general shift in the German mindset. Oh, we also have actually to focus on innovation and this may not take place in a plant. Um, but obviously Western, uh, West Germany was much better equipped with the ingredients that are needed for that. And yeah. we will maybe speak uh, later about that. So when they realized, okay, we need to now put the shift on innovation and a bit more knowledge intensive industries, the ingredients like high skilled workers and some like um, of the setting of an innovation mindset were not really um, there. But I would say probably the shift took place, um, I don't know, 15 years ago, but Felix may know more about that. Interesting. Come come in on this, Felix. I mean, I suppose, you know, from, from what Catherine said, you know, it's a kind of interesting where, I mean, I may be wrong on this, but on the one hand, you know, you had the sort of implant in, as Catherine said, of, of West German institutions and elites that flip, you know, you know, kind of on the back of that. Uh, but on the other hand, some of the economic interventions seem to try and safeguard and preserve the Eastern German economy as it was, make it slightly better, right? But but essentially it was going to look like it kind of was, rather than also say we do need to think about how the economy evolves and changes as well as, you know, the political institutions and such. Is, 
is that the way to do you think of it like that is is that one way to kind of you know get into it yeah true so the the business support was also in place already before reunification on in the in the western part of germany so this is how west germany supported poor regions put money to um to industrial plants um to well that, to buy some machinery or, or or whatever and this was just another is just another example of copy and paste so this was just rolled over um to to east germany and of course there the situation was as i said well we had run down machinery on the one hand but uh well big uh, uh number of of employees and to bring us back to to well some, I, I would say uh, well, market economy standards there was two options either to increase capital or to lay off people and both uh, was there and this is what what what's happening so a lot of money was spent in the very first years after reunification to um, build new roads, um, to to improve the random machinery, um, to um, improve um, infrastructure in general, and what well, this took place until I would say the mid 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 nineties, end of the nineties. That it that it was all done, then it was all fine. But the price for doing so is well mass layoff of people and also a big brain drain um, to to. Um, to West Germany. Um, so Katrin talked about the uh, two trillion pounds uh, spent on reunification. So it was out of the pockets of the of West Germans. But on the other hand, um, so we calculated a bit back of the envelope. And um, so all these Germans, which have left the East for the West after reunification, they contributed some, also some two trillion pounds in in West Germany, uh, in, in in terms of value added. Um, so yeah, yeah. So there was this deal: the, the West brings the capital, and the West brings labor. This was was in the end, from an economic point of view, what was happening. Yeah, that's an interest. I mean, I, I like that that particular stat in the in the paper. In a nice symmetry between you know these Germans leaving, you know, producing two trillion, and essentially through a transfer mechanism, but you know, on various ways. Some of that money, they obviously, or nearly all of that money, gets goes back into into East Germany in slightly different, uh, in in different ways. And that's really that is really um, fascinating. Let's look at the. So you started to touch upon that. Let's look at the um, the impact of the policy response. I suppose one of my first questions is: you come to this later in the paper, but you touched on it there, Felix. Was you know we saw a huge uh, flow of migration of people out of East Germany into West Germany and predominantly they were sort of produ the productive part of the economy tend to be younger working age rather than uh, more elderly um, folk. Was that anticipated? Was that part and parcel of the program in a sense that, you know, labor migration is part and part of, you know, of the, of the leveling or, you know, re-equilibrium kind of process or was that entirely not foreseen uh, and then they had to try and deal with it? So just start on that one first and then we'll, Come back to Catherine on on some of the other policy impacts. Yeah, so immediately after reunification, unemployment figures skyrocketed in the east. Um, so and there were not so many options how to to handle this. But one option was, of course, um, there was a shortage of labor in in the west. So why not migrating to um, to the west? So it solves part of the problems. It solves the shortage in the west, and it sort uh, it, it it sorts out the the unemployment problem in in the east. So it was. Um, in, in, the, in the very first years, this was maybe part of the program. So it was not supported by money, but uh, everybody accepted that. 
But uh, after some years now, we will entirely change. So we still have this shortage also in, in, in still labor shortage in West Germany, but now we have also big shortage of labor in, in East Germany. Uh, so we, some East German regions are the oldest regions in, in Europe. Um, so because a lot of young people have, uh, have been uh, out-migrating over these uh, 30 years. Um, so, in the, so in the very first years, it was, was okay, was accepted, but it really also led to, to social problems. So a lot of networks, a lot of uh, friendship break, break off. Um, while um, in, in the very first years after reunification, leave, of, often leaving those behind who are who were elderly or well not deep rooted, of course, in, in in their locations. But the more mobile young generation has has moved out. But now, after thirty years, I would say it's uh, well, considered a problem, and maybe different strategies. Uh, not only spending money for for capital to improve capital, but also spending money for people yeah. have been an idea. But um, yeah. of course, we cannot cannot change this now now anymore. So uh, there's no now the, the the migration flows are almost similar. So same number of people are migrated from east to west than from west to east nowadays. So it's well balanced. Yes. But of course, in East Germany now we have a big uh, well um, a number of deaths now because you know so, so many elderly there compared to the number of births. So population goes down. Okay, very good, very good, Catherine. Um, tell give, paint a picture of the of the the impact of the you know the intervention. So it, you know large amounts of money being spent through a variety of mechanisms, some directed, some you know through the the welfare system over you know a long period. So you know try to paint a picture paint a picture for us on um, on the you know the impact of those sorts of policies. And I guess a similar question because of the time frame, you know we can look at the the start point and the end point. That would be helpful. But then also to tell a bit of a story as to you know the rate of uh, change because the broad story is convergence, not equalization, but convergence. But there's a bit more nuance within within that. So give us a give us a sense as to what the impact has been, Catherine. Yeah, um, in our paper we um, looked at um, a lot of different um, indicators that all yeah could could did converge or most of them. Um, but we can see like that, I mean, in the beginning, I said that uh, there was a very strong focus on manufacturing and raising the industrial capital stock in East Germany. And this is certainly reflected when we look at the indicators. Um, East Germany has not only caught up, but has surpassed West uh, Germany because of this program when it comes to capital stock. And, and we also know that a lot of the transfers came through the welfare system. So, so we can also see like a very strong convergence uh, in terms of living standards. So basically you can see there where the money was focused, uh, we can see um, good results. And um, as Felix already said, um, it's a bit less clear cut or maybe not so the case when it comes to like um, demographic and political indicators because there was <clears throat> a divergence um, rather than a convergence because of all the factors mentioned like migration, et cetera, but obviously also um, yeah, the um, neglection of uh, the institutions there, people got angry and so um, there's a strong or like there's a movement to uh, right wing parties, etc. So we can see that there is a divergence um, between East, um, uh, East and West Germany when we look from uh, to, uh, the indicators in 1990 to today. 
And um, on other indicators, um, yeah, there is like a big puzzle, for instance, when we look at how productivity uh, developed um, between these two areas. Um, so the productivity gap certainly has closed. Um, a convergence was extremely strong directly after um, the fall of the wall, when like all this money was pumped into the economy and the state. If you put a lot of money in no functioning machines, and then suddenly the productivity increases. But I think after this point, it somehow halted. And um, so even though the productivity gap uh, for East Germany and uh, West Germany closed from 57% to 85% of levels in the West, there is still a large um, gap because um, yeah, East Germany is lagging behind um, the productivity of West Germany. And um, um, it is not really understood what exactly um, is behind it. There is a mix of a lot of different factors, but um, we could see in our paper, there's definitely like a geographic component. So um, cities or large urban areas have caught up in East Germany. Um, with the West with the West German large cities, but not as much as like the rural um, hinterland and smaller places. And um, so large cities are not delivering what we expect and what we've seen like basically in other parts of Germany and um, and Western Europe. We know large cities are now um, supposed to lead the economic um, development and um, basically just because they are like hotspots for productivity, knowledge intensive um, industries. Um, but this did not really happen or did happen in East Germany or it happened in the past now Leipzig and Dresden see like a bit of um yeah increased migration people want to live there um mm. increase of like startups etc but this has just happened in the most recent years um, and I think um that they're still lagging behind is more or less like um just a mirror of like what has happened with all these policies that were so so much focused on like um heavy industries or manufacturing etc um yeah so that has changed and um yeah it is also like a good link to the uk because we know that um in the uk there's there is this um problem that large cities are not performing as they should or could or as their western counterparts do and i think there we can really see a strong a similarity between East Germany um, and uh, the UK. Yeah, Felix, come in, come in on this. I suppose you know it as Catherine said. In some respects, you know, we get quite rapid convergence in the early stages, and essentially because you know we're turning the financial taps on, but we're also turning the economy taps on. You know, in some respects, East Germany's economy is akin to you know what we see in you know less advanced countries where catch-up growth is a feature. And as it becomes, you know, more mature and more established, getting more growth or more productivity gains become more problematic or more difficult over time. So your thoughts, your thoughts on, on that, you know, that picture and what Catherine's just been saying? Yeah, I, I fully agree. So um, we were all surprised. A lot of analysts were surprised to see that conversion somewhat stopped at some point. So there were a lot of economists saying, well, it takes some five or six years and then we had this catch up and. Um, if you put the same institutions um, like West Germany has uh, to, to these, um, well, it should produce the same outcome, but it did not. And um, well, Katrin also touched one explanation, which is quite striking. So the question is, why was the, there are so many heavy industries in the countryside in, uh, in, in, in East Germany? And one explanation, again, is history. So again, the, the dismantling of industries uh, by by um, by the Soviets after the war in the East, um, and also, of course, this big out migration of firms, 
um, and the wall, um, which disrupted a lot of supply chains uh, across Germany. So East and West were, of course, a lot of very much connected be before the war, and this was all interrupted by by the wall. So East Germany had to basically re reconstruct or construct even full industries, um, plastics or whatever, or oil refineries, for example. And one oil ref refinery we are talking about now uh, in um, because this uh, refinery got uh, its, its, its oil from Russia. It was located in a, in a place which even the, the East German um, government recognized as not the optimal uh, place to put it. But they put it in some very small city um, just to make sure that all parts of, of East Germany are somehow well-developed. But it was from an economic perspective, not the optimal point. But now, of course, this oil refinery is put in this place. And it's from, from a market economy perspective, not, not the optimal one. So it has some problems, higher transport costs and so on. Um, so we, East Germany in the communist time created an economic landscape that it's not optimal from, an, um, from a market economy perspective. We lack a lot of agglomeration economies, for example, which are more present in, in, in West Germany. So we have, East Germany created a lot of artificial socialist uh, small capital cities put the industry there and it was fine in the communist time, but under market economy standards, it's not um, the most efficient uh, economic structure from a spatial perspective. And this is something which is still, may, may still contribute to these uh, difference in productivity levels between East and, and West Germany. And this is something you cannot solve, of course. So you cannot relocate an, an oil refinery. Um, so um, the question is whether we are really able to, to close this gap or whether this is an expectation we should somehow change. And so where's the th what's the, th the thinking at the minute in just on that particular issue, Felix? What, what is the thinking around, you know, around that? Because we have a similar, it's a slightly different, but it's a similar sort of conversation in the UK, as you will know, and Catherine will know. Uh, very, very well, you know, since everywhere has to have something. And if they haven't got something at the minute, they should have something in the future. You know, one of dispersion and, you know, and all the rest of which you can see the why that makes sense, at least politically, doesn't make sense in a modern economy, which really relies on, you know, density, proximity, uh, agglomeration. So how how is Germany kind of thinking about what it does for, because presumably the oil refinery, will need permanent subsidy, right, to remain competitive compared to, you know, other oil refineries, either in Germany or in, you know, in other in other countries. Is that is that right? So what's the thinking on that at the minute? Yeah, well, thinking now is maybe more shifting towards we should accept that East Germany is not a delayed West Germany, that we can just we have to wait for some years and then it has caught up. Um, I, I think we should not, uh, we should change our thinking about East Germany. So it developed an own identity, an own way uh, to, to go in terms of uh, economics and in, uh, in over those 40 years of, of communism. And to accept this is, is the very first step. So we will not have, we will, we will never harmonize living standards all across Germany. Um, a lot of Germans wish wish uh, to do so. so. There's a lot of demand for equal living conditions all across the country. But I think the first thing we should say is this is this is not possible. And um, but still, of course, it's it's hard to explain to East East Germans. So you earn less money than in the West for doing the same job. Why is that? And um, there. We, 
we can explain parts of this gap. For example, uh, living conditions are a bit, bit cheaper in, in, in the East. So um, for example, housing is, is uh, cheaper in, in, in the East than in the West. Um, but this does not fully explain the, the productivity gap and the, and the wage gap. And um, I think many East Germans would be more happy if they see um, more East Germans, for example, in management positions to, to see their, their people um, uh, in, in also in, in politics. We have a lot of West Germans which are still ruling uh, a lot of uh, institutions in, in, in East Germany. Yeah. Maybe it's, it's not, not so much income, not so much um, uh, economic, uh, um, for example, value added that, that it's in, in people's minds. But more, who's um, who's in charge? Yeah, that's well. That's, that certainly echoes, as you know, conversations in the UK about power, control, you know, destiny. Who's in charge of it? Who's you know? Do you feel like you're in control of your own life or your own area? And to varying degrees, you know, people don't because you know because they feel like decisions are taken from you know either by people who are not like them or they're taken in places that are nowhere nowhere near them so there's definitely an echo to that we'll come on to that in a, in a second Catherine just so you talked a little bit about just now around some of the factors that may you know partially explain not fully explain the the sort of results that we've seen or the the progress that we've seen talked a little bit about you know cities maybe not the big cities not performing as well as maybe not given the priority that maybe they should have and, and could have Earlier on, you talked about, you know, not a particular emphasis on innovation, uh, you know, maybe that part of it as well. And there's another bit which is really interesting, and Felix just touched on it, the the absence because of the history of social capital, social and civic networks, which in a sense, you know, undergird what goes on uh, in the economy sphere. So just, just round out that, add in, you know, any of your thoughts on those sorts of factors you know that, that are in the in the paper um yeah i mean i think what we have seen is that um yeah in the german case um expectations uh, and participation definitely didn't grow from the bottom up and um this had then the impact on like um other indicators and also on like the openness to maybe adapt like a more um i don't know western mindset or like um thinking um, I think this is definitely one core mistake that has been made. And I think when we are thinking, for instance, what um, needs to happen in the UK, et cetera, we should take this as an example that, um, I mean, definitely also in the UK, like um, restructuring or like more devolution, et cetera, is, um, is important. But I think if we take or do these steps, then um, the German case is uh, telling us that we more have to consider like what the people want and to integrate them in like the decision-making processes. Because yeah, if you just come and um, try to um, yeah, like give others your, like put your opinions on like on others, probably the outcomes will not be perfect. And um, yeah, I think, um, yeah, the integrating the ideas from everyone um, bottom up um, will be core. Very good. Um, okay, so let's turn. So we've talked a little bit about it connected here. Felix, come in on them there, because I want to turn to, you know, you, you draw out specific lessons uh, brilliantly for, for, you know, for the UK's current discussions around levelling up. But did you, do you do want to come back on what, what Catherine said, and then we'll get to that. Yes, but maybe just to, to outline also a difference between the UK and, and, and East Germany here. Um, well, East Germans 
lack democracy for more than almost 70 years. And there are no places, of course, in the UK which are experiencing this. And um, you see a lot of also poor places in, in West Germany, but they are they have high uh, ter voter turnout rates. They do not vote so much for for populists. So the most po the poorest region of Germany are not in the east; they are in the west, and they are not so much different from the German average. So it, it's not necessarily connected that you're poor and then you do not go out for the polls or vote for populists. That's that's. And, and maybe that's a bit of a difference. So in East Germany, we really have this, 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 people think of democracy maybe differently than, than in the West. And there are many East Germans which have literally voted for all parties which are available uh, over the last 30 years. So usually in the West, if you're not happy with the policy of your party, you do not go to, um, uh, to the polls anymore. But in West, in East Germany, you really vote this for the left wing, then for the right wing, or, or whatever. This is quite a different kind of uh, democratic thinking um, and a way to perform democracy than than in in other parts of uh, of Germany and in West Germany, and maybe also a big difference to the UK. And and your your both your thinking on that is which you were saying earlier part of the response of thinking through that is not just only to focus on questions that relate to the economy or to income is thinking about a broader sort of suite about you know what it what it means to have a meaningful life and you know kind of the broader issues that affect the way people feel about themselves is that right Felix? Absolutely so so East Germany almost well, abolished all social networks which are not part of the communist uh, world so there were no rotary clubs there were no places for ex exchange and the church was um, under fire. Um, so um, well, there were very, so, so the communist uh, government really attacked all kinds of this uh, civic society. And it was quite successful. If you look at uh, church membership rates in, in, in East Germany, they are really, really down. And so they were quite successful in destroying all those social ties that really hold societies together. And this was not a focus in 1990. And this was maybe one of the big mistakes we did. So if you have unemployment rates of 30, 35%, you really need, need stable networks, social networks, but there were no networks. No, and this was maybe also, it's maybe different to the UK where you have a lot of uh, uh, social ties and um, well-functioning well networks. Yeah, that is a very, very, very good point. Very good point and, and underappreciated, I think. Although I think there is some an appreciation of the interconnections between those sorts of issues um, in some of our places that are struggling economically, uh, you know, they're also, you know, they're struggling socially as well. So I think there's a kind of interesting uh, interplay there. Katrin, um, let's talk about lessons that you draw out in, from the experience for the UK's levelling up agenda. And you identify um, three very clear ones. I mean, they're big lessons and there's lots within them that you can get in the paper but just just talk us through the you know the, the the big lessons that you you draw out yeah I think the first um big lesson we identified is that and I think Felix already mentioned it that yeah regional policies must consider both capital and labor we've seen uh, in the East German case that there was a very very strong focus on capital this is why um, infrastructure investments were very successful and um, many parts of East Germany have now better infrastructure that uh, in the West. 
but um, key people were not so much uh, in the focus that led to like a high out migration um, and particularly like a high out migration of the people that have the highest productivity potential like uh, young young people, families, etc. And um, exactly these were then missing to build up like an economy that is like uh, sustainable in the long term. And, um, and um, also like a reason why, for instance, cities are not performing as they, they could like, should, because we know uh, what large cities uh, need is not um, infrastructure investments. Obviously, there, it needs to be like a nice office building, et cetera. But most of all, they need like high-skilled uh, workers, um, dense uh, city centers, um, and um, like an innovation mindset. And um, also this innovation mindset was not really in the focus of at least the initial policies in East um, Germany. So, um, and I think this is definitely the lesson for the UK that uh, the UK policy, um, they need to deal with exactly the same barriers that limit like high value added business investment uh, in large cities and must think about how it can attract um, high skilled workers um, in city centers um, outside of the greater uh, southeast because we know that UK cities are lagging behind. Um, I think a second lesson we've learned in the East German case is that uh, there has to be a long term commitment to large scale funding. Um, because this exactly can level up, uh, level up living standards and economic performance. And we know in East Germany, there was no overarching strategy um, on like leveling up. There wasn't, I think, not even a mindset that this would literally take so long. But there was this commitment and that was backed with money. And this happened. And um, we can't see that right now in the UK. The funds are quite smaller. There seems to be no commitment. We we can't we can't know, we don't know what will happen in the next five or like 10 years. And I think this is like the security like parts of the UK need and um, that they know what will come and that they will be backed up until leveling up has been actually um, finalized. And yeah, the third one um, I already mentioned in the beginning, like um, expectations and participation must grow from the bottom up. Um, you need to integrate um, yeah, local um, mindset and local people and thinking in the um, leveling up process. You can't just put like politicians um, or institutions from, uh, I don't know, the Southeast um, of, of uh, the UK uh, to the North. Um, so there needs to be like a, a policy process and that integrates everyone. Brilliant, fantastic. Great summary of a lot of detail. Felix, add your thoughts on the, on the uh, you know on on those three lessons uh, and there's lots of detail obviously in the in the paper that unpicks them but just your thoughts on that and then I want to finish by getting both of you to kind of think about or give give us a comment about the the economic geography of Germany today you know, and whether we should still think and he said you talked a little bit at the beginning that maybe that's not the case but but you give us your thoughts on the three you know on those three big lessons anything that you want to add into what Catherine said. Yeah, maybe on, on number three, so this growth from, from the bottom up. Um, so the, the survival strategy of East Germans during communism was to distrust politicians, to distrust the system. And this, is, this has become part of, of the habits in, in, in the East. And this is also something you see. So, so usually even they, they distrust in, in really small communities, they trust, distrust their, um, their local, local politicians. Um, so the question is whether we need different institutions also for East Germany, for example, more direct democracy, so that you really hold those people accountable who say, well, I do not trust all those 
those politicians around here. Um, so, okay, then, then we make you accountable for, for the pol political outcomes. And I, I, I would be, I, I would recommend to go more for, for this way, to, to go for more East German specific way in institutions to be, to experiment with, for example, direct democracy or other forms of um, democracy, which are not the classic West German um, style. And then it's, it's possible that it, it grows from, from the bottom up. We also have a lot of mergers, a lot of very large local authorities where 50, 60 villages were grouped into uh, one community. We have this in, also in West Germany, but there you have this trust in, in local politicians. There it works, but it's probably not the best idea to go this way for, um, for, for East Germany. So yeah, my, my, my opinion here in this point would be um, should go for a specific East German way, not just copy paste from the West, but to, um, yeah. Um, I, I think the East German identity is, is also some, something which is, is there and they also would be, would be able to accept um, those specific institutions. Um, yeah, that's, that's one way to, to make democracy more growing from, from the bottom up maybe. Fascinating, interesting. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see if that, if that kind of variation and that experimentation, uh, you know, becomes part and parcel of, I suppose, the next, you know, the next iteration or the next phase of, um, you know, how we deal with some of these, you know, these longstanding challenges and issues. So we'll, we'll definitely keep a watching brief on, on that. But so I, I want to finish. Uh, maybe, maybe Felix, you can start us off and bring Catherine as well on. You know, tell us about the economic geography of Germany today. You know, we've talked about the east-west which is historical because of the reasons that we've talked about but you alluded to at the beginning actually it's becoming a bit more complicated and actually maybe thinking about that in very strict terms is no longer as pressing a policy issue as it previously was in part because of the the success that's been achieved not perfection but success nevertheless so give us a you know give us a, a whistle tour of the you know german economic geography today yeah. If, if you look at political uh, outcomes, if you look at economic outcomes, you can always identify East Germany on a map. Right. It's, it's, it's quite easy to, to, to do this. Um, but nevertheless, there are also other gaps between the North and the South. So for example, South Germany was not a big economic place before World War II. Now it's the, really the regions around uh, Stuttgart and Munich. They are really uh, the, the, the economic hearts of, of Germany nowadays. And the, the gap between the South and the North is maybe as large as between east and west so the south is performing much more strongly relative to the to the north i mean munich seems to be a very you know a huge success story i don't know it in lots of detail but whenever i come across you know the yeah. data on munich is just you know often unbelievable in some respect but i mean so it's so it's a story of southern performance outpacing the the northern part of the country interesting Yes, this is one divide, and but but Katrin also mentioned other divides. So the old industrialized regions versus the new high tech, um, high tech regions, or uh, the countryside versus the the cities. So there are new divides uh, which are arising, but still this east and west divide. It's it's this is not only in in, in economic terms. This is also in in identity terms, and I think that's that's the big difference why this is so persistent also in the in the discussion. So we have in, in the German government there's one one expert, one specialist for east west uh, uh, for the east west uh, issues, um, and, and not not somebody for uh, uh, countryside uh, city um, divisions. Um, so 
we are still focusing on, 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 on this and every year when when we celebrate German reunification on, on October 3rd, it, it always the focus is on the divide between East and, and, and West. And as long as we continue this, uh, focusing on this divide, it will perpetuate and we will think about this more and more. Yeah. It's not so much prominent among the, the younger generation, but still, even along, uh, among uh, younger East Germans, there's a new identity as East Germans arising, not so much as Germans, but East Germans. Mm. Surprising to see after 30 years of yeah. unification, even among people who did not experience um, the East Germany or uh, or um, the or reunification. So yeah, that's very interesting, Captain. You're, you're adding your any of your thoughts on the, you know, sort of the German economy today and or the economic geography of the German economy. What, what would you add in? Uh, to what Felix has said. Um, for me, as an ex center for cities employee, obviously, um, the, the divide between cities uh, is the most interesting part. And I think we've already mentioned it um, before, um, like how well large cities in Germany are performing and that um, you can really see a divide between like these superstar cities that are distributed everywhere in the country yeah. um, compared to the UK, where it's really clustered in the southeast so I think this divide is um, interesting and for me the most exciting thing is really to look at the east German cities and how they will perform in the future like Berlin, uh, Leipzig, Dresden I mentioned there are haven't seen the same economic development like their western counterparts but like really in the last years there has been a change and you can really I mean you know Berlin is the worst uh, performing capital in the western world etc i think there's there is like a momentum where you can really see things are changing and even though there is a divide i personally i'm super excited to see how berlin leipzig and dresden are in 10 or 20 years and what impact that will have like um on the surrounding areas because particularly in berlin we can see that the hinterland um is growing and growing and more people are moving there so we can already see the effect it hasn't played out yet so much in productivity but it had an impact yeah. an increase so um yeah i think that will be um, my point of interest um, do, you, do you get a sense that that, it, that you know that sort of recent performance and then the possibility is seen as a good thing you know in a sense is something to be encouraged or and supported because as you know you know in the UK we are somewhat ambivalent about the relative success of someone like Manchester or Leeds or Birmingham you know we sometimes worry that we focus too much on those and they you know they're at the detriment of other places but what's your sense on that Captain? and then I'll bring um, Felix in it's it's exactly the same in Germany to be honest so I think no one really wants to understand or like a lot of people don't understand that places have a different um, productivity potential. So also yeah. in Germany, there is this, oh, why is there now such a focus on the cities or they have everything, et cetera. And um, I mean, obviously it's, it must, there must be like provision of public services, et cetera, everywhere. But um, I think people struggle a bit uh, with like seeing the benefits. And um, even though it has been acknowledged by several um, economic um, uh, economic in institutes institutes for economic um, development and um, I think in the mindset there's in Germany also still like like we should have the same income whatever like on the countryside so I think there we are pretty similar with the UK I, I don't know how to circumvent this topic or to no 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 that they benefit but um there is not not a bit uh, mindset difference no interesting Felix give us a give us your final thoughts on that you know in a sense that you know 
the success then of some places relative to other just create seems to create a whole new prop set of problems right you know we worried about berlin now berlin's doing well now we don't want berlin to do well we want everywhere else to do. i mean we have this story that manchester was a problem now people tell me that manchester's not a problem and the problem is that manchester's doing too well relative it's like you know come on what well, it just i mean your final thoughts on that yeah, that's the big trade-off. So Katrin mentioned that the big, uh, so, so the productivity gap between East and West is mainly due to, to the big cities. So we should redistribute resources within East Germany from the countryside to the big cities to, well, achieve some, some conversions of, of East and West. But this, of course, comes at more inequalities within East Germany. And there's hardly any, any solution to this except putting even more money um, to, to East Germany. But I think the, the West German society is not, um, not very happy with this uh, su suggestion. So um, in, in the end, it's, it's solving this, this trade-off. And I'm, I'm not really sure whether we should really go for, um, for this, um, uh, to, to close this productivity gap, whatever it takes, um, because we are losing a lot of places in the countryside in, in, in East Germany. And I think we should balance this bit more. So um, we should accept that we will probably never catch up with uh, East Germany with, with West Germany. Um, there will be a divide and um, we should not leave those places behind which are not already not doing well in terms of economic structures and so on. If we would well, uh, also take resources from this, those places away and this may um, contribute to new conflict and new, new new problems within East Germany. And I think that's not the best, best way to go. So it's balancing inequalities and uh, prosperity as always in, in economics. I think that's a great point of which to uh, finish. My brilliant guests today have been Dr. Felix Rosel and my former colleague, Katrin Nenkel. As I said, you can get the paper on the website. We'll put a link to it in relation to the podcast. It's definitely well worth I read my sense is that a lot of people talk about the the German example in the UK without having actually done uh, a lot of the work to actually understand what's what got, has gone on and is going on uh, in Germany. That isn't the case with you two. You've done the hard yards. So thank you very much for that. And thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you for listening to this episode of City Talks brought to you by Centre for Cities. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher by searching Centre for Cities. Please rate, review and subscribe if you liked what you heard. You can also follow the centre on Twitter at Centre for Cities or like us on LinkedIn for the latest updates on what the centre is up to. If you have any comments on the episode or suggestions for topics we should cover in the future, we'd love to hear from you. Do tweet us or send an email to info at centreforcities.org. The music was from Palace Fires by Johnny Foreigner. Used with permission and all rights are reserved.